Hi everyone, Nick here. Before we start the show, I want to say thank you to everyone who's stuck with us through the last few weeks while I've been working on my new house. We're pretty much finished all the DIY and we're now packing for the move next week. We're hoping normal service will resume with the podcast as soon as humanly possible. I also want to thank two people who I can never thank enough. First, my co-host Simon, who's one of the finest gentlemen and my best friend. Many of you might not know, but Simon does all the work on the scripts we use every week. And without him, this show would just be me mumbling about Munich drivers or some other pet peeve. He's also been a massive support throughout the last month as my life descended into chaos of boxes and bits of wood and paint. So thanks, Simon. You're my hero. The second person I want to thank is my brother Greg, who does a lot of production work on the podcast and helps with lots of great ideas too. He's routinely requested that we don't credit him, but screw that, he's a star. Love you, bro. This week we're repeating one of my, and I think Simon's favourite episodes of all time, episode 17. As you'll hear, we're both having a blast and it's one of the best because it's exactly why we made this show in the first place. We talk about all the places we love, even when they are a bit shit. We make each other laugh and I think you can feel that throughout. So, less of me carping on about it. Here you go, listeners. One of the finest cuts of decades from home. Talk to you all soon. Cheers! Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, hop, hop, hop! Virgenlauf Galopp, Überstock und Übersteiner, aber brick dir, nicht die Beine, hop, hop, hop. Virgenlauf Galopp, I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Mannix. How are you this week, Simon? Yeah, I'm doing fine. What, what, what's going on? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> um, I think, do you remember a few weeks ago I said that uh, lack of sleep might send me insane? I think it's finally happened. Breaking point has occurred, okay. Yeah, it is. I've finally snapped. Uh, luckily, I've snapped in the most positive way, and I'm just doing Kinder Leader. Parental Leave has just given me a whole new understanding of all the different various songs that German kids learn. And my daughter has a, a book that plays that song, and she's basically okay. slowly becoming like a DJ. So she presses it, and it starts with like, hop, 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 Fürchen Love, and then she'll stop it. And then it'll be hop, 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 Fürchen Love, Galop, Überstock, and then she stops it. <laughs> it's just like that constantly so it's basically she's learning how to mix or or something my days are filled with hearing that song about 75 times so i just thought i'd share the love yeah thanks for that window into, uh... <laughs> into my parental insanity yeah yeah well yeah if you need to talk you know where i am yeah <laughs> <laughs> i thought this was this was us talking i thought this was therapy weekly skype therapy session. yeah yeah just and people happen to listen in and give us feedback anyway this week we're looking at flags and state symbols but before we get to the articles that we're going to discuss i want to test simon's legal knowledge because as as with so many parts of german life there are a few rules that govern which flags someone can fly in germany so i welcome you to everyone's favorite flag-based quiz show nick's flag flying full-on fragger fest <laughs> today's guest is simon from nuremberg his hobbies include having a beard being British and wearing Spurs. I'm sorry, wait. I mean, supporting Spurs. Each question is worth one point. Are you ready? <laughs> okay, Simon, first question. Where do people living in Germany usually hoist their flags? Uh, on, I guess, city halls and town halls would be my guess. Rathaus. Um, yeah, that's one option. I'm thinking more about the individual person. Where do they hoist and flag on a person? <laughs> Remember, the, the question is, where do people living in Germany usually hoist their flags? Where would you most likely see someone, someone's flag if you were walking around the streets of Germany? On their cars, I guess. Yeah. No, I was thinking balconies and I was thinking windows. Oh, okay. So you'll see people hanging them out of back. I'll give you that point. I'll give you that point. I think that's fair enough. You were quite, you were quite confused by the question. It's an easy question. By all of this, right? No, no, don't worry. (laughs) Question two What might prevent someone from flying their flags from their balcony or window? Uh, There's going to be local legislation. (laughs) Yeah, there is actually. Okay, I'll accept that as an answer. Uh, Ulrich Ropitz from the German Tenants Association says at least as long as it does not show any criminal or offensive content or badges, it should be okay. Okay. Question three. Can a landlord prevent you from flying your favourite flags? Yeah, 100% they're allowed to get away with that. Only as part of the rental agreement, so you've got to make sure you read the fine print before you sign on the dotted line. Well, if you like flags, I suppose. (laughs) Question four. 
What should you take care to do before hoisting your flag? Uh, do you have to like have like a, a, a reasonable blood alcohol content? Do you have to like have a beer before you do this? Like get in the spirit? Yeah, I mean, no. So I'm not going to give you a point for that. You have to ask the landlord and, you most importantly, attach a bracket. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Kicking myself. Yeah. Question five. What must your flag not do to comply with the law? It must not uh, block the windows of other neighbours. Oh, that's a good answer. That's a point. You could also have had damaged neighbours' plants uh. or be fastened so poorly it blows off down the street and endangers pedestrians. <laughs> and finally, the bonus question, which is worth 10,000 points, Whoa. thus rendering the other questions entirely irrelevant. Which flags are you allowed to fly and which ones are verboten? Okay, so the, the federal flag, the, the black uh, gold and red, I'm sure is allowed. I can also do my state flag and my town flag. So I can have like Franken here um, and Stadt Nuremberg. I am definitely not allowed. I'm not allowed to have a, a Hagenkreuz or a swastika flag. Uh, nothing from the Third Reich. Definitely um, not. Can I fly a DDR flag? You can fly a DDR flag. Yeah, totally fine. So, so the Old East, I can fly their flag. Can I fly a, the, the one with the Adler on it? The one with the Eagle on it? Is that allowed? You're technically not supposed to, but mm -hmm. you're allowed to and no one really cares. Okay. But you're definitely not allowed to fly the... Well, in Brandenburg, you're definitely not allowed to fly the Imperial German flag. Okay. But you're actually allowed to fly any flag of any country. Obviously, when we're walking around, uh, when a World Cup's on, football tournament's on, people will be flying their, their various flags from their, their houses, which is finally, it's totally fine and, and totally legal. So that's the end of the quiz. Wasn't Simon a great sport? <laughs> what do I want? Uh, thanks for my respect. <laughs> thanks for joining us for Nick's Flag Flying Full-On Fragger Fest. And we'll see you probably never, because that's all the questions I could think of for this segment. Moving on, this is actually a press release from the British government, uh, gov.co.uk or gov.uk. Union flag to be flown on UK government buildings every day. So I said this is in the UK, a country that until four years ago was reasonably normal, but now seems to be trapped in a weekly game of who can come up with the most pointless piece of jingoistic nonsense. This week's contenders are the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport headed by Oliver Dowden. They have published new guidance asking for the union flag to be flown all year round from UK government buildings. And Robert Jenrick, the Secretary of State for Housing, Communities and Local Governments, who has written to all local councils in England asking them to also fly the flag on their buildings. All of this flag fancying comes alongside the increasing use of the union flag by politicians in the background of their conference calls during media and during parliamentary sessions. Government politicians seem to be competing for who can have the biggest or the most flags in one shot at any one time, with some even accompanying their flag fetish with a picture of the Queen. Jemrick himself was recently mocked by BBC News presenters for having a rather lacklustre flag in the background of his conference call to BBC Breakfast. This caused the right-wing tabloids and flag fuckers everywhere to lose their tiny minds and forced the BBC to have a meeting with the news presenters involved, with one, Naga Manchetti, having to apologise for liking tweets that were taking the piss out of the current flag mania among politicians. What the hell is going on? Bloody good question. It's not entirely clear what the hell's going on. <laughs> I, was, I was saying this to my wife the other day, and it feels like you and me and the people who moved to other countries or moved away from, from Britain uh, before 2016... Mm like represent a completely different Britain. Yeah, feels like it, yeah. Like, I remember a time where if a BBC presenter took the piss out of a politician, people would love it and think it was great. And now it's like a source of opprobrium. And my wife was like, oh, well, you know, people maybe still do have a sense of humour. But I think it represents something that's, something that's changed in the UK where people are just so divided. The issue seems to be, especially with, with, with Naga Machetti and others, these people, especially BBC people, are, are targeted so 
poisonously. It isn't people going like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. You're a public figure, the face of an organisation that's supposed to be balanced and unbiased and blah, blah, blah. But people are just like, yeah, threatening violence. People have just become so so venomous. It's, it's really, really scary. But I mean, it must be said that this is new guidance. It's not a law. It's not a, a, It's not some kind of act of parliament. It's just guidance that's been published by the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport. One of the th- Well, one of the things that they said that I found quite interesting was that the the culture secretary had said it this change hails as a proud reminder of our history and the ties that bind us <laughs> yeah which bit are we meant to be proud of which bit of the history are we talking about which bit are the ties that bind us and uh, i thought it might be useful here just to run through a bit of a potted history of where the flag comes from and flag frying in general the origins of the union flag go back to 1606 which is mentioned in the press release which was the uniting of the english and scottish crowns under james the sixth of scotland and james the first of england same guy two titles quite groovy if only we could all be so lucky and it might come as a surprise to politicians, but the history of Britain goes a little bit further back than 1606. We should be lucky, though, that the statement does manage to go further back than World War II, which is some kind of success, mm. given that historical discourse in Britain seems to be stuck uh, in that particular period. So from the press release, uh, we had this paragraph. The Union flag dates back to 1606, as Nick mentioned, when King James VI of Scotland became King James I of England. And it was decided that the union of the two countries should be represented symbolically by a new flag. In 1801, following the Act of Union of Ireland with England, Wales and Scotland, the Cross of St. Patrick was included on design creating the flag as we know it today. I mean, this is all well and good, but it does ignore the several wars with Scotland following James's reign. Uh, I've got a list here. The Bishops' Wars, the Second and Third Civil Wars <laughs> and two Jacobite uprisings. So not, not so unified. Uh, we also should point out that the parliaments at the time were not unified totally and actually caused a lot of issues, especially when jo- Charles II wanted to make his brother James II, who was a Catholic, his heir. We also have the 1707 Act of Union that came about following various laws and acts of parliament in England that hammered the Scottish economy uh, and made it harder for Scotland to trade with England. Funny that, it's trading difficulties, it seems to be ringing a bell. <laughs> 1707 actually came about because of Scotland's failed attempt at empire building. Many investors invested in a project in uh, Panama called the Darien Expedition, uh, and that totally failed, and investors lost fortunes and essentially almost bankrupted Scotland, and it brought Scotland and England closer together. We also have to mention that one of the reasons that the 1801 Act of Union, which is currently the union that we live under, uh, it's changed slightly when Ireland became the Republic of Ireland and uh, Northern Ireland became Northern Ireland. The 1801 Act of Union was passed uh, because of fears over Catholic emancipation, which weirdly doesn't seem to feature in the freedom narrative here. <laughs> so, yeah, the shit the Catholics are going to get emancipated quick. Let's let's change the law. Uh, they don't seem to be including that in there, which is a bit of an odd one. The fact that it isn't just about the Second World War is is very refreshing. It's a very valid point to make, but. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of holes, uh, and this is sort of my point when we think about all elements of our union. Obviously, Nick lived in Scotland for a reasonable chunk of his life. I lived in Wales for a chunk of my life, and my family history uh, originates from that country. So we both have a, at least a flavour of the kind of dislike for the English in these parts uh, of the union. And so, yeah, I, I've always kind of found it very curious uh, as to how these sweeping statements from the government says this is how people feel about it. It's like, I know for a fact <laughs> that that's not the case. But yeah, the government was going to put that out nonetheless. So within the document, it says the Union flag is the national flag of the United Kingdom. And it's so called because it embodies the emblems of the constituent nations united under one sovereign, the kingdoms of England and Wales. Mm-hmm. It's always England and Wales. I feel a bit sorry for Wales. England and Wales, of Scotland, and of Northern Ireland. But where is the Welsh element within the flag? Where the fuck is my dragon? (laughs) How can the Union flag not have an element from all parts of the Union? So why wouldn't we want a dragon on the flag, first of all? Like, how cool would that be? Totally, totally. There's a lot of competition for the coolest flag on Earth, and I think the Welsh flag is easily top five. It's got a dragon on it. Mm. There is an argument that the Welsh flag is also the most long-lived of the British symbols. His origins could have come from Roman legions who carried the dragon standard uh, and was possibly used by native Britons fighting the invading Saxons. I'm still fighting the invading Saxons, the bastards. (laughs) (laughs) Hoist your standard, son. I can't see it. Uh, 
so the flag incorporates the red dragon of Cadwallader, king of Gwynedd, along with the Tudor colours of green and white. Uh, it was used by Henry VII at the Battle of Bosworth in 1485, after which it was carried in state to St Paul's Cathedral. The red dragon was then included as a supporter of the Tudor royal arms to signify their Welsh descent. It was originally recognised as the Welsh national flag in 1959. Several cities included dragon in their flag design, including Cardiff, the Welsh capital. It'd be so cool to have a dragon on the flag. I don't understand why they're not doing it. It's yeah, it's very disappointing. Very dif- disappointing. Uh, so back to culture secretary Oliver Dowden, who said the Union flag unites us as a nation. And people rightly expect it to be flown above the UK government buildings. Yeah, rightly expect. Yeah. Uh, so this guidance will ensure that happens every day, unless another flag is being flown, as a proud reminder of our history and the ties that bind us once again. I mean, what people, what people <laughs> have ever thought, you know, I'm feeling a bit confused, where am I? And I need a flag to indicate, oh, thank God I'm in the United Kingdom. This is literally the only legitimate reason I could think of to need flags flown. To like just help <laughs> those with amnesia or suffering from sort of mental distress. Go, okay, I'm, I'm in London. Has this ever solved this problem? I doubt it. I, I'd usually just use Google Maps. That would be my first <laughs> instinct. And the British flag isn't like all national, other national symbols of other countries. It represents the complex history and in, in union within the UK. It isn't the same as, say, like the US flag that was representing the newly formed US states and its actual divergence from the, from Britain as well. It also has to bear a lot of weight, especially as it's formed as part of a domestic colonisation within Britain, which isn't, that isn't debatable. Like, it's essentially what it is. You ask about the Highland clearances and I'll tell you all about it. And also the wider global empire. To paraphrase the great Bill Hicks, the flag doesn't unite us, our values do. And at the moment, the values promoted by the UK are actually the main source of division, a constant desire to segment society by ridiculous sort of weird symbols and shit. Divisive politics have always been like a big strategy Mm. for the Tory party and like lame politicians in general. And the problem now is that they've overplayed their hand as it seems to be dividing everybody uh, against everybody. And also it's driving Scotland further and further away. It just seems like a weird, a weird strategy to promote if you're trying to bring people together that you would use a symbol that certainly in Scotland has not a lot of positivity. It does, I mean, there's unionists within Scotland, of course, but in my experience, they're, they're, they're generally flying a, a union jack is, is not as preferred as flying a saltire. So, I mean, one of the arguments for the flying of flags is this idea of creating uh, civic pride. Uh, and this is the argument from local government secretary, the Right Honourable Robert Jenrick, MP, who says... <laughs> <laughs> I've given him way too much credit for saying this whole title. <laughs> no, you totally have. Okay, scrap that. Local Government Secretary Bob Jenrick, he said, <laughs> our nation's flag is a symbol of liberty, yeah. unity and freedom. I mean, we've already seen this as a banner that unites nations that don't really love each other that much. So liberty, unity and freedom is an interesting <laughs> yeah, yeah. phrase there. That creates a sense of civic pride. Again, people rightly expect to see the Union flag flying high on civic and government buildings up and down the country as a sign of our local and national identity. When, when I think of who I am, it's just <laughs> Union Jack underpants all the way. Frankly, this is confused nonsense from Jenrick, and he's deep in the culture wars in the UK. And I, I don't really expect nuance from him or people like him. It represents the Union of Nations. That is definitely true. And it was, but it was more often used in the past to represent like official British government st- status, so like navy and army and things like that. Uh, but to say it represented freedom and liberty, like, well, I I think Jenrick has shown he spent far too much time drinking the Victorian Kool Aid. <laughs> I imagine it has lots of bits in it, gelatin in it. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just not. It's just national bombast and like pure historical dumbassery. I mean, the other question is, whose freedom does he mean, given that many of the rights we have today, such as workers' rights, voting rights, etc., had to be fought for rather than given to us by a freedom and liberty-loving state? You do have to wonder how many parts of the empire saw the Union flag as a symbol of freedom. Like, I imagine Bengali farmers or the Zulu nation had slight difference of opinion when they saw the, the Union flag coming over the hill. And even when parts of the empire saw deeper meaning in the flag, and this is the thing that always gets us, is... 
the, lots of parts of the empire did buy into this and, and bought into this idea of Brit being British. Great example is the West Indies. West Indian British citizens, they they came over in both World War One and World War Two and on the, the Windrush, and they were very quickly dispelled of any notion of their Britishness and were firmly told, just by the reaction of people in the street, that they weren't British but instead were foreigners. So this idea that the flag is binding us together is it's just lunacy. It is just pure lunacy. Uh, so yeah, it smells a bit like bullshit. Mm. But as we mentioned, this flag uh, became part uh, of many others. So I mean, when we think about this, mm. is this how the good people of like Fiji, Australia, New Zealand, Hawaii, the Union Jack flew as Hawaii's sole flag until 1816, when red, white and blue stripes are added and it's remained part of the flag. It may seem strange because yeah, Hawaii was never British. Uh, and is today a, a federal U.S. state. So it's a bit of an interesting one. Uh, and when the Union Jack changed in 1801, so did the flag of Hawaii, even though there was an official correction. Really? Moving on, we have... That's yeah, why is that, yeah. It's really, really interesting. Uh, moving on, we also have the Falklands, Cook Islands, St. Helena, Tuvalu, Fiji, Turks and Caicos, Nui, the British Virgin Islands, the Cayman Islands, and Gia. The British Indian Ocean Territory, Montserrat, the Pitcairn Islands, Tiscan de Cunha, South Georgia, and the South Sandwich Islands. So, they sound delicious. They do, don't they? Just. Uh, I mean, it sounds like an amazing gap here uh, if you visit all these places. <laughs> Get a real good tan in the South Pacific. <laughs> the actual my favourite part of the, this press release was the bit where it referred to something called dual flagging or double flagging the government has also cut red tape to allow dual flagging where two flags can be flown on one pole and that's like it's a fucking sex act that that is clearly a euphemism for a very interesting sex act possibly for some kind of oxford or cambridge fraternity uh, but i wouldn't like to comment but there's an interesting thing here about the eu flag now requiring planning permission they've also changed the rules for the nhs flag apparently the nhs flag needed planning permission beforehand you couldn't just fly it you had to have approval to fly it but i mean at the same time why would you in normal circumstances fly the flag of your health service like, obviously mm. being proud of it is one thing but it seems almost like the government's uh, just doing a bit of the old flag lip service. Like, well, look, we care about you. Look, there's flags everywhere. <laughs> we won't fund you properly, but we have got a flag. <laughs> We've spent $350 million a week on flags, as promised. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. <laughs> Does it help? <laughs> no, it doesn't help. <laughs> it doesn't help at all. I mean, it shows the pettiness, the sort of, the sort of act of mini-revenge. But now, if you fly an EU flag, your business or your private property, like someone can come and be like, well, "You got permission for that," and it's just it's laughable. It's totally laughable. Mm. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure the government thinks it's onto a winner here. I guess we'll find out. Maybe maybe by this time next year, everyone will be super patriotic and be saluting flags. And I'm sure there'll be a lot more Union Jack tattoos going on uh, in the next six months. <laughs> like we needed any more. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that first piece of flag chat. Now that it's over, it's time to test Simon's German state flag knowledge oh. with Nick's Bundesländer Banner Banter Bruhaha. <laughs> Our first contestant is Simon, hailing from the fine county of Surrey. Simon's hobbies include forcing his wife to eat never-ending cottage pies, VW GTIs, and hating perfectly innocent cartoon elephants. As you may know, German states all have their own state flag, or Landesflagge. But how well do you know them? Are you ready, Simon? Not at all. <laughs> this is going to go poorly. <laughs> Question one. Which German state flag has a bear on it? Berlin. That one, I'm afraid. Correct. Yeah. Berlin it is. Question two. How many state flags have an eagle on them? Ooh. Nine? Seven? Six? Two? None. Only one flag, <laughs> only one Landis flag that has an eagle on it, and it is the flag <laughs> of Brandenburg. <laughs> yeah, the more you know. Okay, question three. What is your pin number? <laughs> okay, it was worth a try. Maybe next time. What are the two colours of the Bavarian flag? It's uh, blue and white. Sky blue and white. Correct. Excellent. Question four. Which state flag has a horse on it? 
Hassen? No, I'll give you one more um, go. Um, God, I, I can't even think of an eastern state. Saxon. <laughs> the flag of Lower Saxony. Ah. Close, but no cigar. <laughs> and finally, question five. Why might the flags of Saxon-Anhalt and Baden-Württemberg be confused? Is a mirror image of each other? They are the same colours, but in a different order. Baden-Württemberg has black over yellow, and Saxon-Anhalt has yellow over black. Again, what learnt? Yeah. Well, that's the end of this quiz, I guess. <laughs> With a whimper. Hey, hey, hey. I don't, I don't come round your house and make fun of your quizzes, so shut up. Next, we're going to look at the US and how they use their flags or possibly misuse their flags. The flag of the United States of America is flown all year round on government buildings and on significant public holidays such as Independence Day, Easter or Labor Day. There are also days where the flag is flown at half-staff such as Patriots Day or the National Fallen Firefighters Memorial or till noon on Memorial Day. Day to day, the flag is flown on or near to main administration buildings or every public institution, in or near polling places on election day, and is displayed in or near to every school. It has become common for people to fly their own flags all year round, either from windows or from a flagpole, which for many non-Americans is quintessentially American. American patriotism is a funny beast and it's taken a bit of hammering over the last four years, no surprise. Europeans will often marvel at how easy it is to get Americans to start chatting USA, 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 or how some Americans still blindly believe that their country is the only truly free country in the world, which comes as a bit of a shock to Germans as they blast down their well-maintained autobahns at 200 kilometers an hour, or when they all start drinking at the age of 16, or when they vote, or when they do most things, really. This does lead to a question, though. Is this all for show? So, Simon, is all this flag patriotism just for show? I mean, it's certainly used for show. Things like the USA chants and the, the lack of general knowledge that is quite pervasive uh, in America makes it, makes it challenging to know your place, I guess. And there's also the very unpleasant reality that America hates itself. Like, big sky country like, hasn't a single fuck to give about Los Angeles or New York. And they, in turn, don't really care that much about the soybean farmers mm. in Ohio. This division is, is a problematic thing, uh, and we see this in the election and politics. And then there's a sort of like this overt patriotism or nationalism, which I think is very uncomfortable for mm. a lot of other people. The Pledge of Allegiance, the reverence to the stars and stripes. As you said, the misplaced notion that USA is number one in all things being worth number one. This is part of the narrative that is sold in schools. And of course, this is very easy to critique coming from the UK. And so I think it's uncomfortable for us. And there's a lot of legislation around this, which again, points in the sort of worrying direction that maybe the UK is heading in. In law, you have the United States flag code with a lot of very, very strict regulations on, for example, we're going to look at the time and occasions for display. Uh, there are set rules there. I mean, it's different in the US. I mean, they're always talking about it being a young country. It's only existed since the, the tail end of the 18th century. Mm. And I think it's different in the US because they were forming a country out of nothing. And so the symbols of state were quite important in that respect. The flag was, interestingly, right, then this is something we talked about, the UK flag being on other, mm -hmm. other flags around the world. The British flag was actually part of the original American flag George, that George Washington carried and used up until uh, 1777, I think it was. And it was to show that they had allegiance to George III, but just not to the taxes and the, the way the state mm. was operating. But that was swiftly changed, I think, in 1777 when there was a demand for uh, a properly American flag. And that's where you see the, the sort of first uh, versions of the flag that we know today. There is there is like a, a deeper connection uh, with the symbols of state. Also, you've got to remember, like, it's one of the first sort of uh, burgeoning democracies around the world. But like the, the symbols like the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, the flag, all of these things were are imbued mm. with a different, a different kind of feeling than, say, the Union Jack, which is something that's evolved and developed over time in a slightly different way. But yeah, the United States flag code is quite an interesting document. Right in the opening, um, it yeah. says that the, when a patriotic effect is desired, the flag may be displayed 24 hours a day, if properly illuminated mm. during mm -hmm. the hours of darkness. So I guess this is what the UK is now going for, uh, a patriotic effect. We're super well placed to be a victim of this kind of blind, what, you don't love our flag? 
bullshit nationalism and there are rules on how one should treat one's flag in many different ways so it should be hoisted briskly and lowered ceremoniously i I don't know how you do that how you lower a flag ceremoniously i think it's just slower isn't it it's like them take it down slower i mean if if i'm thinking about when i've seen it seen the flag put up and put down yeah and everything that's ceremonious is is generally just slow (laughs) <laughs> with a tear rolling out of one eye yeah too right why not <laughs> the next uh, part is a problem for us in the uk because it says the flag should not be displayed on days when the weather is inclement uh, <laughs> yeah we're screwed <laughs> this might be the loophole <laughs> everyone else is looking for uh, if it's raining you can't do it so yeah public institutions of course are, are a key thing so the flag should be displayed daily on or near the main administration building of every public institution in the us it should be as nick mentioned in or near every polling place on election day uh, and should be displayed during school days in or near every school house. Uh, so, yeah, getting them young, filling with this sort of iconography is key, apparently. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting you talked about the Pledge of Allegiance. It's not really that old, the Pledge of Allegiance. It really only became like like the official Pledge of Allegiance it was adopted in 1945, which you can understand you've just come out of a major mm. global conflict. National feeling is quite high. What, what I find interesting is the section on the respect for flags, mm-hmm. which the bit that I'm drawn to is section D. The flag should never be used as wearing apparel, bedding or drapery. It should never be festooned, drawn back, nor up in folds, but always allowed to fall free. I'm sure I've seen American flags on people's clothing. It's a, it's a key part, isn't it? I don't know about bedspreads, but definitely uh, I've seen it on clothing. And I don't know what drapery is. Is that curtains? Uh, yeah, drapery could be a curtain, yeah. Uh, maybe tablecloths. That could also oh, be yeah, you don't want to do that. I mean, is this how you know a really kinky, like, anti-American American is if they've got, like, a flag on their <laughs> like, yeah, fuck me and my flag. <laughs> <laughs> it's really confusing because you'd be like, either this guy is a traitor or the greatest patriot. I don't know. You would be very confused to work it out. And this is the thing, like, as, as you mentioned, like, the flip-flops, shorts, vests, all the unceremonious pretty brazen clothing it's all emblazoned with this flag at every opportunity anyone visiting a walmart will be spoiled for choice and could probably buy an outfit from head to toe Mm. that had the flag on it flag law american Mm. flag law as we're going to call it from here on uh, dictates that that is not allowed it is a desecration uh, Mm. form of the flag Uh, and there's a lot of rules on these kinds of desecration i found it uh, the section e of the respect of flag rules and regulations i found interesting my experience is certainly through film but also like various uh, military engagements the u.s has been involved in when a u.s soldier is is killed in combat or or killed at, at all the family are given a flag and it's folded in a very particular way and i've always found that quite interesting like why why is it folded in such a in such a manner and i just thought oh well it's just sort of respectful it's actually like stated here that the flag should never be fastened displayed used or stored in such a manner to to permit it to be easily torn soiled or damaged in any way so yeah there's actually like and again it sort of speaks to this thing of like it's got a deeper meaning and i don't know i think we probably disagree on on the symbolism i I haven't got a like a massive respect for the british flag because it doesn't have the same history to it as the u.s flag i kind of get it i do understand now why Mm. it's folded in that in that way but the section g you 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 found interesting which was Mm. the flag should never have have placed upon it nor on any part of it nor attached to it in any mark insignia letter word figure design picture or drawing of any nature now that reminds me of something (laughs) simon does it remind you of something was it was it the storming of the capital (laughs) yeah i think it's the storming of the capital yeah i mean any any trump rally uh since he started his campaign like you would see the U.S. Stars and Stripes flag was used as a background in all sorts of design efforts on flags, on T-shirts. You have the flag with Trump, that bitch, written on top of it, all sorts of like really crude, offensive stuff. And now we're seeing the QAnon individuals. We see often flags with Q emblazoned on them. So these people are always telling, oh, we just love our country, we're just patriots. But it seems that a lot of them are deeply misinformed about what others mm. uh, in their government have dictated to be the correct way to show your love for this flag. I mean, we had Donald Trump cuddling flags, mm. kissing flags, like holding one romantically. That's not forbidden in this document, but I don't think anyone ever foresaw uh, a president making smooches at a flag. It's very, it is very odd. Section I, the flag should never be used for advertising purposes. 
that is that's going to be news to a hell of a lot of companies in any manner whatsoever. It should not be embroidered on such articles as cushions or handkerchiefs and the like, printed or otherwise impressed on paper napkins or boxes or anything that is designed for temporary use and discard. Advertising signs should not be fastened to a staff or halyard from which the flag is flown. Now, I don't know what a halyard is, but I'm assuming it's it's a, it's, it's a tool for flying flags. <laughs> like, it seems like no one's read this, or at least I haven't read it in a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? It's so crazy that this is the law. Like, this is readily available. This isn't hidden away in the, sort of the annals of American history. This is mm. current legislation. And the idea that it shouldn't be used for advertising purposes is the most laughable one on here by far. It is the essence of American visual advertising these days. Nowadays, it is the flag, it's the stars and stripes uh, and a burger. I hate to distill American culture and advertising into such a simplistic image, but that is what is being portrayed on a global scale. Well, it's certainly the stereotype that people have, and, and like definitely in Germany, people will. And that's always annoyed us, it's really bugged us because of what because I've, I've got like a real affinity for the US. I really, I love the US. It's a big part of my upbringing was like American culture. And when I was there, it was like, I was the most atypical tourist getting off, getting off the plane and just being like, oh, I love this. Like, it's so good. Like all, like all the similar things that I see in consumerism, <laughs> like I don't have a massive issue with, except for the environmental impact. But like, there's so many things that I've, I've really, really like adore about the US. And, and what, what got me is the way way a lot of people who claim to be patriots talk about the US in a way that is just so counter to the reality of what it's a bill of rights or the 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 constitution or even just the rules around flags would say the one thing and again you've highlighted this section j the flag represents a living country and is itself considered a living thing when we think about the uk that we don't see it as a living thing it isn't it isn't considered in the same way and when you think of the symbols of the uk or britain whether it's the independent flags of the different nations or whether it's the union flag it's not it's, it's like different for each country and it's different certainly for this for the union flag and it also isn't there just isn't that level of respect for sort of flags when we look at all this reverence that the u.s has for the flag or at least certain sections have for the flag those people who actually have real reverence not the ones who are sewing cues on the on the american flag like the, the reverence that are held and i like i understand that and I, I get it it's 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 part of the nation building and it's part of the pride that the americans have for their country which is which is sometimes quite negative but isn't i don't think national pride is necessarily a totally horrendous thing i think the difference is and we'll talk about germany in a moment the uk just doesn't have the the, the relationship in the same way and it doesn't have the built-up understanding of what the flag means and it's typical from the press release that they don't really know they're like saying oh it's a sign of our history and a sign of our, our togetherness but they don't actually know what it means it doesn't there's not any like a clinical way or clear way of saying what it means I think for, for a lot of Americans, one of the things that I found interesting is, is their relationship with the idea of service. Yeah, of course. One of the things you hear people say is when they see a soldier in uniform, for example, they'll say, thank you for your service. Uh, if they meet a veteran, they'll say, thank you for your service. So this is drilled into them in a very real way. And of course, the flag is the identifying, sort of unifying figurehead of all these branches of service, whether it be Coast Guard military, navy, everything. And so, for example, if you go to a baseball game or any major sporting event in the US, when they play um, the national anthem, they'll have a section where they ask members of the armed forces, uh, present and retired, to stand up. uh, And they'll be applauded and and greeted by the audience, really acknowledged in a major way. And I grew up in a sort of military environment, and and I, I find the whole thing at first quite uncomfortable. But the more I sort of experienced it, the more I realized that Americans were really, really aware of, of what that kind of service means uh, in terms of freedom and respect. And I think the UK has a tendency to lose its connection to that reality. Yeah, I think, I think the experience of veterans after Vietnam and the reaction that they had, is that, that scarred a lot of people, and not just the veterans themselves, yeah. but I think it scarred the country, and like we really let these people down, and I think there was, there was, mm. there was a big push, certainly, in, in, since to, to recognise that people who... I don't think anyone goes into the military thinking it's going to be a cakewalk, or it's going to be a... Like, it's, if some, sometimes they don't really have many other options, but like when you dedicate your life to, to, 
to serve the country, whether that's as, as a doctor or a nurse um, in, the, in Britain, especially as it's part of a national health service, or whether that's as a teacher or the police. I think there's, there's, there, there is something there, and I think it, there is something about that decision to, to do that. And I think a lot of people enter those jobs with a sense of they want to serve, they want to do something, they want to be part of a big entity, and I think that's quite a noble ideal. How that applies in reality is, is maybe different from, from the ideal, but that's isn't that the case with a lot of things. But I think in, in the UK, yeah, you don't have that sense. I think more now with nurses and doctors, certainly nurses... I think have, have have gained a lot of respect, and they should mm. have a lot of respect. And what is appalling, I think, is is the way that that sort of blends into this whole flag guidance that's been published in the UK. Is this fact that it's all it's all smokescreen, isn't it? It's just jingoistic nonsense, so mm. that they can pretend to give a shit about nurses. Like if they gave a shit about nurses, they'd give them more money. Like that's pretty much it they've been they've been asking for it if they like the nhs so much they'd fund it correctly instead of uh, spending a decade defunding it and so all of this stuff is just really really superficial so when there was a one percent raise uh, offered to to healthcare in, in the uk a lot of people on twitter in the uk were like well i do this and i haven't got a raise oh god i hate Even, that shit it was it was really really sickening but yeah it was i was really really depressed when i saw people arguing against a one percent raise uh, for healthcare workers in what's been the trickiest 18 months in any healthcare system's history. I bet they all love the flag. So are you going to ambush me with another quiz? No, no, what do you think? I am some kind of flag quiz generating monkey here to amuse you. It's, it's not been going particularly well. For now me, it's so time for everyone's it. favourite quiz, Deutschland's dynamic oh, Dienstflagger debacle. Anyone living in Germany will know that German states also have government flags or Dienstflagger. But can you tell Dienstflagger from the... Don't flagger? Our next contestant is Simon. He's a human man who can walk all on his own and has many positive features. Well, Simon, are you ready? (laughs) Question one. Can you accurately describe the government flag of Saxony? (laughs) No. (laughs) Give it a go. I'm going to guess black on red. Incorrect. (laughs) It's a fess of green, white and red, defaced with the state coat of arms, which feature a vert A-bend sinister wavy argent, Ghouls, a, a horse rampant argent, and an argent, a rosé, ghouls seeded and leaved or I can't believe I didn't think of that. I am surprised as well. <laughs> Question two. Why is the flag of Thuringia red and white? Uh, because they're just massive fans of Austria and the Swiss. Incorrect. Mm. It reflects the heraldic colours of the Ludovingian rulers of the medieval Duchy of Thuringia. Don't, I can't believe you didn't know that. Question three. Yeah. What is the meaning of life? <laughs> 42. Incorrect. Mm. Life or human existence has no real meaning or purpose because human existence occurred out of a random chance in nature and anything that exists by chance has no intended purpose. <laughs> Whose state flag is that? <laughs> I make the questions sharp. Question four. What mythical creature features on the flag of mecklenburg vorpommern Is it a griffin? Correct. Way. Finally, question five. The flag of Schleswig-Holstein is the inversion of which country's national flag? Uh, Schleswig-Holstein, um, which I know from gambling adverts is always only available there. Uh, Czech Republic? Incorrect. Mm. It's the Netherlands. You uh, got one out of five, which means you failed to win the grand I'm prize amazed. of £2,000. <laughs> So the next article is coming from Spiegel.de International Edition. Actually, the article itself is from 2006, and the title is Just Don't Fly the Flag. Over six decades after the end of World War II, Germans still have a pathological fear of patriotism. Flying the flag is still a faux pas. Anyone coming to Germany may quickly notice that there are very few flags flying around the place. Even on many government buildings, you're more likely to see a state flag and an EU flag than you are to find the Bundesflagge on German national flag. This article from 2006 asks the question, why don't Germans fly the flag so much? Is it all about the dark past of national socialism or is there something else that stops Germans from proudly hanging the flag? 
I suppose the first question should be, has anything changed much since the article was first published in 2006? The main thing that's changed since 2006 is there have been more football tournaments. And this is pretty much the only time on a two-year cycle, every World Cup and every European Championships, where you will see flags everywhere. I mentioned earlier when Nick asked me, where will people fly flags? I said cars. Because yeah, during the World Cup and during the European Championships, a lot of cars will be festooned with flags. And I think people are slowly becoming more comfortable with the notion of flying the flag. But it's not, as Nick said in this article, it's not something you see particularly often flying from someone's window. Because I think for a lot of people, the instinct is the aforementioned national socialism. It's a, it's a difficult thing. And it says in the article, uh, if you walk through Berlin, it's like a, a different capital city from a lot of others. Obviously, it, it became sort of revived itself in the 1990s as a political hub. So like new architecture, there's Czech headquarters and major think tanks and foundations, Czech national monuments, Czech lots of flags. They kind of forgot that part. Uh, it seemed if you did this in, in the UK or America, it would be a ubiquitous element of the redesign. Berlin kind of sh shies away from that. It's only really on the Bundestag, on the houses of government, that you really see the, the flag everywhere else. It's, it's more sort of localised. So, yeah, I, I think people are still uncomfortable with this notion uh, of, like, proudly flying the flag, uh, apart from the World Cup. And Nick and I were very lucky to experience the joy of winning a World Cup as fans of Germany in that final. That's the closest we're going to get as Englishmen, I imagine. Unless this year the European Championships... <laughs> I mean, we watched it in an English pub uh, with our with mm -hmm. our girlfriends, as they were then. Or yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were young men dating lovely young German ladies, and Mario Goetze set the nation on fire with his goal. Uh, and we went to Plera, which is in the south of Nuremberg, uh, and is a, a depot for uh, the Straßenbahn, the trams, the undergrounds go there, and so it's a big open space. Uh, and there were, I know. 5,000 people, 6,000 people in this oh, square, yeah. uh, waving flags, yeah. drinking beer, just having the most incredible celebration. And for the most part, people didn't realise we were like two English guys like piggybacking on their joy. But yeah, it was, it was a really wonderful moment of like cathartic outpouring of national pride, which always kind of felt like it was a bit taboo. Yeah, a great night. It's a funny thing that the 2006 is generally accepted as, as the first time in their lifetimes that the flag was to be seen everywhere and people finally felt yeah. a little bit more relaxed about using it and, and certainly whenever there's a national tournament um you see cars flying flags you see flags come out the windows people really sort of get into the spirit of things which is which is nice to see and there is i think there is a a sense of to have the flag and to display the flag suggests a level of nationalism that people just don't feel comfortable with and it's it's telling there's a there's actually a, a great song by the the german comedian jan bermerman actung in brackets actung germans on the rise and there's a great line in in that song about germans are proud of not being proud and i think that sort of sums up <laughs> that's, that's an really element yeah, that's true an element of of the german psyche in that there is there's a general feeling that national symbols have have led to trouble in the past and that it's why if I go out of my house and walk over to the, the government buildings here, they've got a EU flag or they've got a Bavarian flag or maybe they'll have some uh, flag with the, the Bavarian coat of arms. But rarely do you see a German flag flown except on specific days when it's Deutsches Einheit, the uh, day of unification, is an example where you might see a German flag flown. I think there's also an interesting sort of connection with regionality here. So, for example, here where I live in Franconia, if you say to someone, oh, you're German, there's a reasonably good chance they're going to go, no, I'm, I'm Franken. Or if mm. you say, oh, you're Bavarian, they'll go, no, 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 no I'm, I'm Franken. And all these regions have this sort of national identity that's as significant as a national identity. So I think that, that makes it a little bit easier to sort of separate yourself from this. Um, mm -hmm. And in England, obviously, it's much more about cities and regions. So obviously Nick's extremely proud of his Newcastle upon time cultural heritage whereas mm. yeah i coming from where i do in the southeast I, I connect myself to london because that's just clean and easy you can't forget that like we talked about america or the u.s mm. being a, a young nation in comparison to a lot of others like germany 
as a country mm-hmm. has only existed since 1871. Yeah. So it's actually it's actually younger as a national entity than 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 the US is. And for a long time or for the history all going back to year dot you have different states and the different states mm. were kingdoms principalities elector states they were part of the holy roman empire they were part of the austrian empire there was a lot of fluctuation and it wasn't until the wars of unification certainly wars with france between prussia and france and uh, various con- German confederations that you get the German state as we know it today, and that's changed mm. as the borders of that have changed dramatically over over the the century or so it's existed. It's totally normal. Like I think people forget forget how short mm. of time amount of time that is. It's not a lot of time. Like like it's a century and a bit is not. It's not a a massive amount of less than two hundred years of existence. It's actually mm. a blink of an eye when you think about historical memory and national memory. And but I do I think. A lot of it is because the focus, rightly, has been on German mm. history through the 20th century and less so on mm. German history prior to at least the First World War. So I think there's, there is an element of that where people are more likely to think about what happened the, during the Second World War, during National Socialism, before they think of all the things that happened in the, the 18th century, 19th century. I think maybe there's a, an element of of history teaching that, that focuses entirely on one area and doesn't always focus on other areas. That's totally understandable, and mm-hmm. I actually think in some ways it's very beneficial. But there is this article I read in Tagesspiegel a few, a few days ago, I think it was about a week ago, where it was an academic bemoaning the fact that whenever you see the German flag, it's usually mm-hmm. carried by a nationalist. And he mentioned the um, mm-hmm. riots in Chemnitz a few years ago where it was and he said it was like a tarnishing the Mm. name of the flag because these nationalists were the ones carrying it and i think actually in some ways you've got to reclaim that because if you look at someone like um, bjorn hooker who is part of the the very right-wing radical extreme right-wing radical element within an already right-wing alternative Mm. for deutschland party he's a history teacher and i think he understands that these symbols can be utilized for right-wing benefit and you need to claw them back you need to claw them back it's like the flag doesn't need to be flown all the time but you need to understand where the flag comes from do you do you know a lot about the background of the german flag i didn't before now before i started no, researching it i, I, I really didn't know much no. inform me please i'll just i'll just throw it at you so it actually the the colors the the black red and gold have fluctuated this i think the wikipedia article is really interesting because it's got a, a section on the different color ratios that have changed because it's, it's different different versions the flag itself was actually based on the colors used by the lutzau free corps who were a volunteer unit of the prussian army who fought against napoleon during the napoleonic wars the uniform that they chose was actually designed to be quite easy to replicate since soldiers had to produce their own uniforms so the the uniforms themselves were mm-hmm. uh, gold colored buttons which were widely available a uniform that was dyed black because it was easy to dye and pennons used by the lancers in the unit were were red and black so you have these colors of of black red and gold being quite prominent and apparently at the time the colors represented out of blackness of servitude through bloody in brackets mm-hmm. red battles to the golden light of freedom but it was in 1848 that the flag was adopted by the frankfurt parliament which declared the, the black and red gold as the official colors of germany and passed the law stating it, it was the, it was the to be the the flag used and, and specifically the 1848 revolution which was it was kind of like the 1968 um, sort of student movements around europe basically loads of countries are like the, our governments are, are terrible we need to overthrow them and there's revolutions all over the place so the colors were, were used certainly earlier than 1848 and even though eventually the the revolutions were suppressed tricolor remained official but wasn't really used i mean it's it's complex it was used by a few groups after 1849 up until 1871 and certainly those who were uniting against prussian aggression would use it as the color of their flag and also of uh, their uniforms so it was a symbol of a different type of germany in the face of of, of a growing kingdom of prussia that was slowly beginning to dominate germany uh, during that period and would lead to the unification of germany in 1871 but it was also the flag of the weimar republic which preceded um the era of national socialism so there's actually that's why they've gone back to it i think the weimar republic seen as a failure but also something that should be admired in an attempt to create this 
democratic state and made a lot of mistakes for sure but it certainly had a lot going for it so that's the background of it do you i mean do you have a german flag in your house no no i don't think so no me neither i mean i've got some i've got some uh clothing with Mm. from dfb but i don't think i've got anything with a german flag on it no i mean i asked my wife Mm. uh, how she felt about it and yeah there wasn't there was no sort of swelling national pride coming from her when I asked her how she felt about the flag. And I mean, even just the idea of mm. saying, like, I love Germany. Uh, I think if, if we were at home and someone said, oh, where do you live? I'm like, I live in Germany. But like, how do you feel? I'd be like, I love Germany. I don't think there'd be much of a, a negative reaction. Maybe you get some proper idiot who talks about the war. But yeah, I, mm. I love this country. I, I do. And I got no qualms in saying it, but I'm fully aware mm. that if I was a German standing proudly in the street saying, I love Germany in German with a shaved head, looking a bit aggressive like I do, people might be like, whoop, the, the far right are out today. And this is a problematic reality that sort of Germany is kind of almost cursed by this, where any sort of exaltation of how, how special your country is can be very quickly met with, eh, don't forget about that part though. Mm-hmm. And this has created multiple generations who are like scarred emotionally when it comes to how they feel about their country. And, that's got to be very complex to deal with. But as an outlet, I think football is pretty good for like mm-hmm. let's let's compare. Like I've always admired there's an ability in German, like German, the German psyche, that maybe people don't, maybe people disagree with us. But I've always I've always believed that the the German German uh, people are, are really capable of compartmentalizing a lot of things mm. and separating parts of their life and the way they see things, whether it's the private life and the work life or whatever. But there's an element of our nationalism goes in the football box or the sport box. And that's where, that's where it stays and we're really happy and we'll, we'll yeah. be, have our national pride and it'll be there. But the rest of the time, we don't need to... Like if I saw someone with a German flag tattoo, that would be surprising. And even to the point where I think when you see someone from the Bundeswehr walking around in their uniform and they've mm-hmm. got the little German flag on the on their sleeve, people people feel a little bit uncomfortable about about the military and about militarism in general and and again you can understand why when when you've got people who reflect and understand and know the history but it does and i don't think i don't think it's negative i don't think the article itself is a bit snidey i thought it was kind of like maybe they need to sort of get a grip or and it just i i I tried to find who'd written it because it felt like Mm. this isn't written by a german i just couldn't believe it would be written by a german it doesn't have a name on the article uh, I double checked because I think I think most Germans just don't feel the need to rock around and say I love, I love my country and 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 sort of be a bit hyperbolic. It's not the nature of Germans to be verbose and hyperbolic about these things, which is, no. I think is why people find especially the AfD so distasteful. Is like the have performative nationalism, which it's just empty and it's very it's almost it's almost an mm. exact parallel of where we began with talking about. This this flag guidance Britain it's performative it's not it's not it's no substance to it. There's more substance to your national your your local identity, whether the food yeah. that you eat or the the team the football teams you support the local clubs those sorts of things have a lot more substance than some kind of national identity, which I guess makes Berlin a bit of a weird place to be because it's the seat of national government, right? I mean, for me, it just kind of points in the, whole, in the direction of insecurity. Like any nation I've, I've travelled to that's got an abundance of flags is normally pretty insecure with itself in, in terms of like how much of a grip the government has got on like how much control is there. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's not the direction I'd like to see the UK going in. I really don't. It makes me sad. I think it would be lovely if, if Germany could be sort of more openly proud uh, about this element in the culture. I'd, be, I'd love it if the, if the people in the UK could just rein yeah. it back a little bit because it doesn't achieve anything mm-hmm. uh, apart from giving another thing to be divisive about uh, and to have issues with. I do like that the German, Germans seem to be more divided by what they call bread or what is the <laughs> best food. I find that a way more, yeah. a way more palatable division to have than to be like yeah and to see what's happening in britain so i mean hopefully hopefully things will change in the uk and and hopefully things will stay the same in germany i have a lot of optimism here here 
service. Mine are Osterhazen for Austin. That brings us to the end of the show. Thanks for listening and thank you to a couple of folks in particular for sharing out our podcast. Uh, first of all, thanks to Maurizio. Uh, maybe one day we'll get to talk Dante, but frankly, Kant was already giving me the fear, let alone medieval philosopher poets. Also, thanks to Jennifer, who I always enjoy chatting to and chatting about Germany with on Twitter. Totally appreciate the support. Thanks to Rachel for the nice comment on Facebook. And finally, thank you to the account Eat, Enjoy, Explore on Instagram for giving us a shout out. That was really, really cool to see. Of course, thanks to everyone for listening, even if we didn't give you a shout out. If we missed you out and you want to correct us or if you want to share the pod, tag us in your post and simply use the hashtag Decades From Home, all lowercase, and we'll give you a shout out in the next episode. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or you want to send us an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at Decades From Home. You can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on 40% German at gmail.com. And of course, the final plug of the show is always 40% German.com. Weekly articles going up every Saturday. Uh, there was a nice article last week, uh, if I do say so myself, a bit controversial, talking about why Spargelzeit is not as much fun as you might think for a small group of people within Germany. So check that out if you have some time. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Frau Austin, tschüss. Ah, that'll be the record. Like it was, the, I thought it was pretty good yeah. this week. Like, yeah, I think we we sort of we hit a lot more on the history. Which I, I have another good. quiz for you about flags. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs>